Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Stuff Podcast, episode 14. I'm Rough Stuff CEO, Garrett. I have Zach, Rough Stuff President, here with me. Hello. And uh, Mallory, Rough Stuff CFO. Hey, guys. Today, our guest is someone we are very interested to talk to. He's a television show creator, off-road enthusiast, and has produced shows such as Overhauling, Extreme RVs, and Are You Faster Than a Redneck, Bud Brutzman. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's, a, it's an exciting, uh, exciting podcast and a good topic. I like, I like rough stuff. Don't take that the wrong way. I just, I like most stuff I do is pretty brutal and pretty, uh, uh, pretty intense. Uh, and I guess we, should, we can get into some of that in a little bit. Love it, man. So, Bud, we got linked up through your wife, Adrian Janik, who was on our episode eight on the podcast, and we found out that you actually have quite a bit of experience in off-road. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started in off-road and your background with racing and your the race in the SCORE series? Yeah, um, and yeah. No, having AD on there is awesome. She doesn't normally like to talk about my racing because uh, she, although incredibly supportive uh, from afar, she definitely doesn't do it. Supportive is the same. My wife supports it in a way that she doesn't lock the door when I'm leaving for the desert. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't necessarily. She doesn't she's like, hey, I'm going to go race. She's like, bye. She doesn't <laughs> stop me, but she definitely doesn't wear the fan t-shirts. I can tell you a story about that. So, um, <laughs> no, it's funny, but, you know, I, in the early 2000, like 2002, yeah, 2002, 2003, I created a series for the Discovery Channel called Dive. And, and truth be told, this is, this is kind of how this thing got created, right? So, uh, is I created an anthology series, right? Which is kind of like what you guys are doing now. Like, you guys have your own podcast, you guys just want to create it, then we just talk and about subjects that are that are interesting to you, and then you hope that the audience follows that that logic. And I was doing that back in 2002, 2003, in the kind of the automotive space. So if I wanted to go race Corvettes, or that's something that I wanted to do as a hardcore enthusiast, I would go race Corvettes, and I would sit there and film it, and and we put it up as an episode. Um, and it just happened to me. If I wanted to design a car, uh, in that that particular one. Mm-hmm. We were able to link up with Carol Shelby and design a couple cars with him and just watch him and follow through. Um, which leads me to, I really got to live out any automotive dream that I ever wanted to do, right? Bonneville yeah. was another thing. Like, what is, what is cool in the automotive place? Let's go to Bonneville. It's like 200 miles now on the salt. Okay, that sounds badass. Let's go do it. <laughs> I literally just write it up and submit it to the network and they were like, okay. And one of them, I got connected with uh, a very close friend of mine, Rafael Navarro, uh, whose family was you know, pretty steeped in into uh, stuff in, uh, in Mexico and Baja. And he was the brand manager for Vehicle Rich Tires at the time. And he kept on talking about it. I was like, hey, why don't you do an episode like this? And I'm like, what the hell is it? And what do we do? And obviously, I've heard about the Baja 1000 for years and years and years. But so we ended up to, I embedded with a team, watching team crap, it was the, the Herbs team, uh, Tim and Troy Herbs, which is very good friends of mine, and Jerry Herbs, the father. And we embedded with them, watched them prep, go through their chase plan, um, you know, I hand out t-shirts and go through their dinners, and we, we embedded with them the entire time. Um, and this is back, and I don't know, it's really weird. There was an old saying, which is, um, I don't even know who said it. But like, if I knew I was in the middle of history, I would have stopped and paused a little bit and took a look around. <laughs> but we were racing at, at the time. We were following Larry Rossler, and they were in the truck, the land truck. 
in 2003, they were, they were campaigning at Trump. But here we are. I'm just like, I'm just, you know, crazy producer jackass. And I'm like, okay, well, that seems like a good case. So we embedded it then. Helicopters and weird at dinners and like the whole, the whole Baja experience at the, high, at the highest level with the host team at the time. And then we had Larry Rosser and the Trumpian and uh, the thing is going for it. Anyhow, so we, we did a peninsula run in a minivan. We had a minivan. <laughs> in America. a minivan? Fucking, yeah, because we're, yeah, so fuck you. You want to do rough stuff? Try that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so renting a fucking minivan in, in San Diego and chasing the Baja 1000 in 2003, like five people crammed in a minivan. One of them was like a publicist from BS Like, oh yeah, I, I, I love her dearly. Her name's Layla. And, and we had my whole crew there. She's like, and she somehow got be a critter to find her. She's from Hillis Nolan, uh, H&K, and she got assigned to production. So we had, we had a PR chick and some other people in a goddamn minivan, and they're bombing down the peninsula. <laughs> um, and what's interesting about off-road racing and, and score in particular down in Mexico, it is just this wacky, wacky, magical thing, right? Yeah. So we are, and, and I'll explain the magic. And, and anybody who's been down there, they understand it. And they know it. So you know, we we do this whole thing with the ball, and I'll try to make this short. Uh, and then literally, uh, I don't even know if we had a GPS. I guarantee you, we didn't. It wasn't iPhones. It doesn't matter if you had. We had no phones, but we had a minivan and a map, like a map book that Jeff Cummings from Vehicle just gave me. So anyway, we're bombing down the peninsula. The first time in my life, first time I've ever been down this down there to to Baja for a race. Uh, like 2003, 2002, and and we're following this amazing team, which I didn't know they were amazing at the time, and now I know I know them very well, and they were the top team. And then we we, we film them at the start line, and then we kind of look at each other, me and the film crew, and the guys like, "What do we do?" Like, well, apparently we have to get on the highway in the goddamn minivan. And if anybody knows anything about Baja, we have these gigantic, huge, black on black. You bump you hit that launch the minivan. <laughs> you don't know you're, you're sleeping in the middle of the night, and they're about three and a half feet wide, or maybe about a foot tall. Uh, probably don't want to exaggerate, and they're called humps or whatever the fuck they're called. Like, there's some kind of Mexican name for them. And you hit them in the middle of the night, or whoever's driving, because they're not colored. They're, they're not. They're, just, they're not. They're not white. They're, they're just black. They're black on black. And you drive into the middle of the night in the minivan, and all of a sudden you hit one of those. Full surprise. Die. You're going off like. You're floating on the top of the ceiling of the minivan. And some <laughs> guy you hired is painting that you just paid to drive and hit it. And you're like, I didn't see it. Anyhow, um, <laughs> long story short, 800 miles into the race, down from Ensenada to La Paz, we get, I mean, we, we get stopped in this road crossing. I don't know what a road crossing was at the time. It's like, shit, what is this? Like, and there's flashing lights and people with flags. are like, oh, the race course intersects the highway. And some of the race cars jump on the highway. Oh shit, we're stuck in the middle of the race. We're never going to see these guys finish. Oh damn. So anyhow, we wait there for about five minutes and here comes a truck over the top of the, over the top of the hill. This is the Baja Magic. So even when we were chasing at the time and dropping down through the ravine, jumps up on the highway, is Larry Rossler in the first buggy. The car that we're chasing is perfect. It's 800 miles, 14 tacos, six beers. <laughs> shitty minivan and a bunch of flying jumps later we end up dead nuts behind the truck and i'm like you've got to be kidding me so then my camera guy leans out the window and now we got driving shots <laughs> of the truggy winning the race we're like this is the craziest thing i've ever been through in my life it's insane 
And then they take off. They end up winning the race that year uh, in the subject. And so now, now I'm a junior, right? So I got other than the minivan thing. Um, uh, then now I have a pre-runner and all kinds of stuff. But uh, I'm a genius now. I turn this documentary into a different travel channel. Um, you know, the team that we randomly picked or got help picked to do off the bar, and we follow the Truggy and Larry Rossler, who's the legend of all legends, <clears throat> down and they win the race. And, like, and this is kind of how my how my career and how how you know that that particular uh, series went it's called Rides. We just did these amazing things and intersected some of the most amazing people. So, but that. Long story short, that's how I got started off the race. And then the following year, the Fitters offered me a seat to go race in the Baja 1000. Wow. Nice. I got to say, man, that, that is a hell of a spin up to this whole career. I mean, that is like, <laughs> that's a story. That is, that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Man. So you also, um, have been a part of SEMA Battle of the Builders. We also know you did a 2008 Raptor development team. So how close were these linked to those experiences? Well, SEMA is something different. I mean, I, I, I've been filming, it looks through the short one. I've been filming at SEMA for forever. I mean, you know, it's funny, I've been there in 2002, it's just uh, I mean, ever since I started out getting involved with automotive television, uh, SEMA is the epicenter because it's, it's the most amazing uh, car show on the planet. And then, um, Really, what happened is I started as, as, as my career started taking off. I started working very close to some of the sessions that SEMA kind of build their experiential markets. So we were doing ride and drive, and then I got overhaul as a live show. And then we started doing, as I get further involved with the media development of score, we were bringing uh, score qualifying out to SEMA and had a 70,000 square foot display. We launched Dust the Glory, which is a movie I produced uh, at yeah. SEMA. We did a, a private viewing. Um, you know, we did a bunch of stuff. So SEMA is, is a client of mine, and they are amazing. Uh, you know, they, they, are, they come to me and say, here's what we want to do. And, and, and to be honest, is, the honest part is really what we've done is kind of melt, you know, entertainment with the convention world and kind of this experiential marketing. Cars moving, live car shows, and then we obviously uh, we created Bad of the Builders seven years ago. We were in Colorado at an off-road racing ranch in Colorado. Me and some executives at SEMA, and we're like, how do we do it? And, and Battle of the Builders is by far the the coolest competition uh, you know around. I mean, we it, there's Amber and there's all these other kind of things in the hot rod world, but it, it has become one of the most you know just one of probably the most prestigious autom- automotive uh, competition events. We have television, we have judges, and the way we designed it, you would judge by your peers, not by you know three or four rounds of judges. So yeah, Battle of the Builders is really really cool. Um, you got to ask something else. Are you had guess about the Raptors? Yeah, so we saw that you had done had some involvement in the Raptor development as far as the team, um, and that you also produced commercials for Ford Motor Company as well. I, I get afforded a lot of a lot of good opportunities because I'm in media and I'm in television, and I'm also kind of a, a, a wild jackass. Uh, like to <laughs> I, uh, I, I started on the Vietnamese performance team as a driver um, after my 2006 race, which we crashed and almost killed uh, two people in our car oh, um, in 2006. I wasn't, I wasn't driving, by the way, so I don't, I don't know how <laughs> I evolved from that. But... Disclaimer, was not driving. Yeah. <laughs> I was not driving. At, at that time, I was not driving, and I wasn't in the car, and I remember being, I, I can tell you that's going to be great. It's a, it's a Baja legend story. And what's interesting about Baja Legend stories, I can tell you this story, this particular story, and you guys have been around it, and I know you guys have been around King of the Hammers and all these other people. And 
no one's ever heard of this story. It is the most insane story. It's one of the most insane stories in our program. And literally, people who heard about it, like they're in airplanes and other teams, thought my team was dead. Like oh. They said, oh, those guys are dead. But I'll tell you the story because it's fun. So we had put together a performance team. I mean, we're, we're a bunch of, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm a rebellious jackass producer, which doesn't really sense. But then we had uh, a couple X Games guys. We had uh, three or four really good X Games guys. And we also had Tracy Jordan, uh, who was uh, a rock crawler, an early, early rock crawler, um, uh, who did a bunch of stuff. And he was an awesome racer. So they put this brand performance team together. And it was Mike Metzger and Kenny Bartram and, and Tracy. And uh, Kenny Bartram's Cowboy Kenny, he's the next game guy. And I had Mike Metzger, the godfather of uh, freestyle motocross. He's in my car. Uh, unfortunately, he's in my car. Then we had to, to train these wild, crazy guys. Like, okay, I think you need to slow down a little bit and not hit shit. <laughs> so we would go it's not a bike. And then we would pre-run, and then we would go race. I don't even think Metzger that year pre-ran, by the way. I know wow. I pre-ran, but I don't think half the team pre-ran that year. Um, so I was I'm a, I'm a newbie. I'm not a, I'm not a sports legend like these guys. So I'll take every opportunity to get behind the wheel and go pre-run. So I pre-ran thousands of miles that year. Uh, then it would be a for the chief. Just just to hone my skills and read the terrain. Um, anyhow, so <clears throat> what we did, Mike and I got in the car. Um, Mike Metzger and I got in the car in the beginning of it. And I'm, I'll try to make the short. I know this, this show is not that long. But I know Mike and I got in the car. And then he... We lost the wheel, we got in last place, and then I got in the car, and at the time I thought it was pretty fast, I got us up second or third, first or second place. Um, and I remember this very well, and I'll, I'll try to make this short, even though it's not a short story. Um, we, we were down um, right outside of San Javier, Michigan. Um, we're really deep in, in, into the peninsula at that time. And I remember this so clearly, and I remember when we met our team, like, man, or something like that. And Kenny Bartram would get out of the car. Kenny Bartram gets in the car. And, and then uh, Tracy Jordan gets in the car. And I remember I grabbed Teddy, who was an X-game guy. He's just learning where he's going to rally school. So he now he wants to hang it out a little bit. And I said, dude, listen, take it easy for the first 13 miles. So the first 13 miles, he would wash a rock. And we go up this switchback dirt road uh, up to San Javier Mission. If anybody knows San Javier Mission Road, back in the day, back then, 2006, I think it was, uh, would switch back here, and there are 300, 400 foot drop off cliffs. Oh, so man. if you hang it out, if you think you're, you you're Robbie Gordon or something fucking crazy like that, he, he can get away with it. And I've been in the car when he does it, sliding sideways around those roads. If you think you're Reese Millen uh, and you're in Pike Peak, you're in a lot of trouble. So I remember Brad Penny, because I'm pretty forceful, I'm like, listen, don't be a douche. Make sure to take it easy. You're not going to win the race if that, and the backside of the hill off the center here is really fast. You can go like hell. Like, yeah, 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 no problem. So we, they took off, and it's pretty slow getting through the wash, and we just sent out of here, and you can, you can do okay, but you don't want to be a rock star on that, on that, on that hill. So we get down pretty far into, uh, outside of La Paz, and I remember I checked in with a wide open thing, and then, uh, I get a, I go to this, this trailer, a wide open trailer, Tommy Morris was running wide open this time, and he's like, hey, I need to talk to Bob Brett. I'm like, well, that's funny, because it's me. And he goes, you have a phone call. And I'm like, what? So I get a phone call, and it's from my wife. And my wife, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. And my wife called me and said, are you okay? So yeah, I'm fine. Why? She goes, I got a call from the fat phone because my fat phone was in the car. And they said that they crashed, and the Tracy is unconscious. Oh, no. Oh, my I'm God. Like, this is coming from my wife. And here's, yeah. what, here's the other thing. Like, people, 
people people are completely stupid and they don't listen. I remember I showed people how to use the fat phone. And then I remember, and I know why this exactly happens. Also, another reason why my wife hates uh, my wife is uh, Ralph the racing because she gets a phone call at three o'clock in the morning like we crashed, and she's like, "What the fuck is this?" She's like, "Crash." what happens. So I show my whole entire team how to use my fast phone, and so they they didn't do that, and they're also just crashed horribly. And so instead of instead of Calling a number, the emergency numbers are listed on the fat phone. They just hit send, which is usually the last number we call. And I remember before I left, I called my wife, so I love her, I'm going to go every weekend, it's going to be fine. So that was the last number to call. So they are in this drunken, super crashing the car, one guy's unconscious, and they just hit send, so they call my wife. So then my wife has a protocol to call around to certain people to try to get a hold of me, and she gets a hold of somebody that's not open. Doesn't matter. What matters is, I'm about an hour away from the pit, and I need to get back to my team. Inst- you know, instincts take over, right? Because in ball, people don't understand that you're there with your case and that's it. And no one's going to come get you. No one's going to help you, especially if you do something stupid like that. So sure enough, there, and it goes up to helicopters really good, but there's a car, a BC class car, that slid off the edge at Stan Hopkins, oh. uh, which is about a 300-foot straight cliff down. Oh. Somehow, they're alive, which is good. So we got confirmation alive. Uh, Tracy Jordan's got a head injury, and we have to get him. So we go get him. We go back to the pit. Nobody's the pit. The escritor's pit. No one's around anymore. So there's one guy. This is the true story. This is the funniest story in the film. There's one guy, and he's there picking up cans from the escritor's pit. So there. He's picking up trash and cans and aluminum cans, and I see he's got this little stock by the truck. So and I just trained my ass off. So I think I'm, I'm thinking big Joe badass. So I walked up to him and I said, "Hey, give me your keys to your truck." That's what I. That's my introduction. And he's like, <laughs> "What are you talking about?" Because what he does was I got two injured drivers that they just wrecked up up, up, the, up on the course a couple miles away and he goes get them. So he hands me the key to the truck and he says, "Can I go with you?" And I had a medic with me. And I said, "Fine." I put the medic, who is a marine sniper friend of mine. Vince Captain, he's a firefighter. So I put the medic with me with a mud bag, and I'm cleaning this guy's truck. I literally, in my mind, like it's some fucking stupid movie, they're going to knock this guy out and take his truck. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I did do any justice on my mind. Right? I, I got two injured drivers, and you're not going to help me. You're the only guy around I'm fucking out. Anyway, they just sold the truck, which, by the way, this is. This is not a typical truck. This is like a Taliban Toyota truck, right? It doesn't have a big fit on it. It's really slow, but it's got 250,000 miles on it, like they do with the Taliban in the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a little tiny, short, little, like, you know, one of the, like the 1991, you know, whatever cab. So, you know, I just start driving the thing. I, I think I'm Joe Baja, but I'm in this car, this little tiny Toyota, going through the San Javier wash, and they just beat the crap out of it. It'll go like two miles an hour. <laughs> crawling over the thing. If I was to get through the wash in the stock Toyota with three people in it, up to the San Javier Road, which is a pretty super smooth at the time, it was a smooth dirt road. So we start going and we're like, okay, but we, when we talked, I talked to Kenny on the phone, which I left that detail piece, so and went there about 11 miles in. So we traveled about 11 miles until uh, we couldn't find him. We're stopping, we're looking over the edge, and like, oh my God, this is. This is you're looking, peering off the end of the earth because it's still black. You're like, yeah. how do you guys like? So finally, it wasn't 11 miles, it was actually 13 miles in, and we find them. And another Jeep, who you guys probably know, 
Um, and I don't, Tracy, Tracy is a rock crawler, some other rock crawler, I think it was TJ Holmes. Um, there was some other a Jeep and Jeep class stop because they were mm. on the side of the road. Just two guys standing there, no race car, no nothing, just standing on the side of the road. And two guys stopped, like, hey, are you guys okay? It's like, uh, Tracy's got a compression, uh, a compression injury in his forehead. His forehead. Um, so we, get, we, sh- we show up, doctor does our medic does an eval on him. I go down and see the car, and it is absolutely destroyed. Just completely watered up. Six times off. Wow. Six <sighs> times off, and they did barrel rolls. And, and Plenty was awake the whole time, so he knew he screwed up. He, he hung a, a rear wheel off the back of it, back like I told him not to, and they went for a ride. Tracy smashed his head against the roll bar and crushed his helmet. Uh, and it's not funny. Funny now, he's alive. He crushed his helmet, and there was a bruise on his forehead. He looked like uh, he doesn't young enough or old enough. Mikhail Gorbachev had this big, like, gigantic bruise on his forehead, which it neared the, neared the uh, uh, roll bars and smashed. And I went down there, climbed down about 250, 300 feet. I got my fat phone, got a couple other things out of the car. I'm like, I don't know how you guys made it out of that a lot. Jeez. I don't know if this has happened to like another team, but I swear I remember this happen. I remember this going on uh, back in the day. Oh yeah, well, there, was a, there, was a, there was a really good rock crawling team. Uh, I think it might have been TJ. I think it might have been it was Shannon Campbell. It was somebody notable who knew Tracy. And but that's what it is. It was the lore of like, like everybody thought they were dead. I knew the helicopter guys and some of the medics. They're like the car went off the San Javier mission. And like, oh, they're dead, right? Because they were inverted straight down cliff, so you wouldn't hit anything. Luckily, they hit one part where you could tumble and scrub some speed off, yeah. but the car was completely destroyed. Rear wheel was taken off. I had pictures of it. And then, you know, they had to climb out of there, and Tracy had a, Tracy was puking and pissing himself, and he smelled oh. like ass, and we put him in the back. We put him in the back of the truck, and then I turned <laughs> it around and we drove back. We took probably two or three hours to get back. And then we drove him to the hospital. Um, and then at the hospital, just to tell you how big of a jerk off I am, um, <laughs> I went to the hospital and I told the doctor in Spanish that he hurt his, he hurt his penis. So <laughs> 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 the doctor told him to take all his clothes off and Tracy's like, why did you tell me to take my clothes off? <laughs> all concussed and confused. Anyway, that's, my, that's my long story again. So sorry about that. I mean, that's a great that's story. Crazy. That's wild, man. Yeah, yeah that's, that's gnarly. That's uh, amazing they survived. And yeah, it's, um, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. So um, how did that kind of wrap back into like the Raptor development whatnot? Did that, how does that kind of connect in there? Well, so the long story of that was, the short story of that was that, you know, I, that was a really interesting, fun experience that we had with the, with the performance team for BF Goodrich. And then they put me on the performance team in 2007. Again, oh, God, those uh, are the BFG guys. Yeah, we did one in 2007. And then, so I, I started to kind of gain, you know, whatever popularity and a lot of experience. And I spent a lot of time down in the desert uh, developing tires for BF British. And then there, um, two of my media contacts, I had uh, this guy named Jamie Allison, uh, who was the head of Ford Performance at the time. And he said, I want, I want you to be involved. It was, it was in 2008. I want you to be involved with this new developer project. Come up to uh, come up to Detroit, right? So I flew up to Detroit. He picked me up with a GT40, old one, not new one, uh, wow. not old as in '66, but old as in 2005. Well, we one of those, uh, and took me to the development team. And there was uh, three or four of us, Steve who's a very close friend of mine, uh, Greg Fouts, who's an amazing racer, 
and Jamal Hamidi from Ford, and they unveiled this play model of this thing called the Raptor. Wow. Uh, off-road capable Raptor, and then was put on the early development team. We were developing uh, a bunch of stuff, testing a bunch of stuff out in Borrego, and then I said, well, guys, this is this is monumental. We need to film this. We need to do the film. So then I had a lot of contacts with Ford, and I said, okay, you guys, we have to film this. I'm going to do a documentary. I, I don't care if you pay for it or not. I'm going to do it. And we started documenting the, the build and the testing and, and what Ford put into that. And thank God, because, I mean, really, as, as we look at that thing 10 years later, we just recently did an uh, article 10 years later on the Raptor, that's 2008, where we did the prototype thing. Um, it's amazing, because that is, uh, I, I talked to a lot of executives at Ford, and that is, the, that is the number one special market vehicle that Ford has ever made. And that includes Shelby's, and that includes Mustangs, and you know Shelby Mustangs, things like that. The Ford Raptor is the number one special market vehicle they've ever developed. That thing is, it is just so iconic, and it's, it's so amazing and brave. And I say brave, I tell you why, because 2008 was a uh, a huge recession. Right? Yeah, uh, it was a massive. So now you, so now you're putting an off-road capable. 6.2 liter, $75,000 truck on the road in the middle of what, what you know, real estate crash in a massive recession. So socially not responsible. Um, <laughs> Big gamble. <laughs> totally awesome. So you That's had wild. previously spoken about King of the Hammers. Have you been before? Um, yeah, don't, don't curse my name. Please don't curse my name. But um, I have not been, I, I don't like the cold that much, even though I do a lot of stuff in the cold. I have not been to King of Hammers. I have, you know, my, I, and every one of my friends, and I know it is an absolute anomaly, and I know it's amazing. And all my friends win the race, and I'm friends with Lucy Curry, and I'm very close, and I've raced with him, and I've raced with Brad Lovell. Brad Lovell and I won the Baja 1000 together uh, the same year he won King of the Hammers. So, yeah, I have not been, we have, you know, one of my, one of my business partners is Andrew Hendricks. He goes out there all the time. I just have not been. And Dave Cole is a very good friend of mine. I like Dave a lot. He, I see Dave in the weirdest places in Mexico. Like, <laughs> I look at some random guy and, like, I love Dave Cole, and what if some random guy pulls up, hey, bud, do you need help? I'm like, what the fuck are you? He's like, Dave Cole, I'm like, what are you doing here? And, like, and you're on the middle of, like, a hillside in Mexico, Dave Cole goes pulled up and wants to help you. Like, it's so out of context. I'm like, don't you want hammers? Like, he, Dave Cole, is, couldn't be a nicer guy. I mean, has helped us out and we raced down there, but he helped us out so much. And I, I think he's actually pulled me out of a couple of things in Mexico. Um, I, I, you, you need to win the most random people in the middle of the wash or in the middle of the field bed down there. They just yeah. come up to you and say, Hey, I got a solar. Here's a rope. And they just, he's like, Did I see you in San Diego last week? And we just kind of talk about stuff. Uh, but I haven't been to King of Hammer. I, I plan on doing it. But, it, you know, things have to, they have to kind of be done. I'm a weirdo. I have to have a purpose. I didn't go any place just to go. I have to have a purpose. I gotta go race. I gotta develop something. I gotta film something. Um, I just have not developed that thing yet <laughs> that I'm gonna go do. Yeah, you should do a series called People of King of the Hammers because there's a lot of really unique people that come out. And uh, it's kind of like the off-road Burning Man as we describe uh, it. Or do People of Burning Man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, you should go to Burning That'd Man That'd be more too. interesting. <laughs> but at King of the oh, Hammers. Oh, go ahead. You guys, you're, you're exactly right. Though. I was thinking the other day, just preparing for this, for this call, like it is. It's like a cool version, you know, not not old burned out hippies. No disrespect to me, burned out hippies. Uh, <laughs> burning Man, but this, it is it is kind of the you know the cool off roader, you know, flat bill Burning Man. Uh, I agree. I thought that hundred percent. Yeah, um, the weather is kind of up and down. Like maybe 
seven, eight years ago, it was raining and there was, it was really muddy. But a yeah. lot of times it's warm, really warm during the day. But at the night, at nighttime, it is cold. But you can just hang out in your super awesome camper. That yeah. high desert just changes so often. Yeah, it's it's tough to predict. I feel you on the cold, man. We've had times where it's getting down to the teens and stuff, you know, and it was 75 that day. You know, yeah. it was a beautiful day and then it's freezing in. And then and, there's a dust storm. And windy just for seven days straight. And yeah. Just, and the day you're leaving, it's all sunny and beautiful. Just sandblasted <laughs> to the face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you should so definitely I, I, try I, I, it. I'm not a I'm not a good spectator, right? So I have to have a I got to, you know, someone's going to hand me the keys and go, hey, we want you to race this and go do it. And then I'll just, then I'll just, I'm, I just, I don't do anything as a spectator. Yeah. Um, like, I don't believe or understand, uh, like, fantasy football or fantasy baseball. Baseball, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't think yeah. any. So I have this thing in my life. Like, I don't, you know, I just, maybe your podcast, but I, I don't do anything fantasy. Like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Like, I'm either I'm going to go do it or play it or I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend. So I'm a little bit more curious too about like producing, like what is, like, what does a producer do exactly? And how did you get into producing? Right? <laughs> and 
because as you get into Mexico, as you, as you evolve, right, most of us mere mortals, not like, uh, you know, not Rob McCaffrey and, and, and the guys who win it all the time, but yeah. for us mere mortals, uh, you, you kind of want to go to Mexico and, and you want to compete. Like if I could just get into a, a beat up old Volkswagen and compete in the dust and, and like pretend that I'm one of these guys and pretend that I'm in the toughest race in the world. And if I finish, which I finished a bunch of times, but and we get a little tiny pin, selfish, who's a dear, dear friend of mine, which I've never seen, and it's like the highlight of my life. <clears throat> we get uh, 2005, we get this little finishing pin, like, hey, you gotta finish. You just little tiny little pelt pin, and like, I just about stood myself 14 times, I got this shitty little pin. <laughs> but then we start, we start evolving into second place, and first place, and then finishing, and like, wait a minute, I could actually win this. Like, winning would probably sound pretty fucking awesome if I actually got into a team and took it real serious and poured some more money into it and worked out harder and, you know, worked up the the, uh, the terrain and, you know, pre-ran a little bit more so you start getting the back back. And I did that for after the rapid program over the last three or four years uh, trying to win. And it never, it never really worked out. I mean, I raced with Casey Curry and we 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 were close to winning. We took second place and I was demoralizing and horrifying because I got stuck <laughs> in the scope deck for, for about, about Three hours, I got stuck in a pit bed, and we just stuffed the car. We were leading the race, and I crested this perfect, packed, beautiful road, and I was hauling ass, and I crested this hill and just stuffed it into a silk bed. Wasn't marked, nobody called it. My driver, my co driver, would say, Hey, buddy, it was a silk bed. We didn't see it during free running. We just buried it up to the doors, and like, oh, fuck. Anyhow, got out, in that second place, and Casey hates me for it to this day. Anyhow, <clears throat> super, super long story short. 2012, we put Brad Levels on my team, Kyle Tucker on my team, a couple other guys are on our team, but we ended up pre-running, working really hard. It's a peninsula run, so it's not a little pause, and we end up in 2012 winning our class. Oh yeah. So fucking amazing. And we had literally almost the perfect race. Uh, Brad, Brad blew a CD joint like a 90 miles out, and we were in first place with a two and a half hour lead. And I bought a separate CD and put it in a plastic bag and rolled it up and put it inside it to the door. And I'm like, got on the staff phone and like, no problem. There's another one in the door. So he pulls the one out of the door and he says, and he calls back and says, the, 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 the doll bearings in the CD came out and there's no grease in it. Oh, oh gosh. shit. I said, okay, okay. Take the grease out of the back one and pull the ball bearings out of the old one and jam it. So him and Kyle, his and Kyle Tucker just kind of cobbled the thing together. Two very capable drivers and great builders cobbled the thing together, threw the CD back on in the middle of the desert with a, with a 12 point wrench that he taped to the roll bar. Yeah, I've thrown the CD before, so the fucking wrench to take it off. And then you have to wait for your chase team five hours. We had all the tools, all the experience. It took about an hour off our lead, but they put the CD on. And, and we finished the race, uh, and we won. Wow! My first phone call, and the last, the last of those, because you met her, I, I call my wife, and I say, honey, just won the bottle one thousand, and she says, great, now you can quit. <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely relate to that. I got no love. I, <laughs> oh, I got no love, no nothing. She's like, congratulations, go out on top. You can quit now. She's like, oh, she's <laughs> I, I like, love her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of Adrian, actually, she did not care. I wanted to ask you about, speaking of Adrian, your involvement with Overhaulin and um, how you like working with AJ. And I also want to know how you guys met. <laughs> 
Did you guys meet with Overholland or did you, were you already with her and brought her on that project? So, yeah, I created, um, I'm gonna, I'll finish my Baja story later because it's still an amazing story as we win. That wasn't a win story, it was something else. But, um, but I'll answer your question. So I created Overhaul in 2002, 2003 uh, with Chip Pusimon, and we started, we started building the hit show. Um, we did our first season with TLC as a part of a turbo block. Um, and I had, I, uh, actually Adrian helped me um, tap Chris and Courtney, who were our first hosts. Um, you know, at the time that I created Overhaul, I was only married to Adrian. We we were married for you know a year and a half, two years um, when we were when we were doing it, and then um, so you know we definitely did not meet on overhaul. Um, and I don't know, Garrett, how you and your wife work together, but it's definitely tricky. It's, uh, I, I figured out a method, uh, and I do it through fear, which I'll explain. Like I threaten people, um, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you some advice how to do it because we've done it successfully, but it's not it's not easy. You have to kind of like divide the line. So what happened is. Um, I have this massively hit show in my home, uh, in, you know, 2003, 2004, whatever time it was. And the host of our show, Courtney Hanson, wonderful lady, she ends up getting a manager. And this manager turns out to be kind of an aggressive dickhead. And he comes to me and he's very aggressive. He says, you know, congratulations on the show. It's great. The show doesn't happen without Courtney. She's awesome. I'm going to renegotiate her contract. I told him, no, I'm not, not going to allow you to renegotiate a contract. I signed it for two seasons. Here's what we're doing. Um, but he wants to be super aggressive, and he threatens me. He's going to go over my head and go to the network, and he's going to demand, you know, all this money for Courtney because she's the star of the show. Blah 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 blah. So he does it. He goes, "I go for it." So he calls the network, and the network calls me uh, afterwards and says, "What's going on?" And I tell him, "They said to do the show without her." I said, "Yes." So I got rid of her. So she leaves the show. Um, you know, kind of like in the line of Farrah Fawcett, right? You get a hit show, and you're in, or you know. You're one season into a hit show and you decide to, let's just be respectful and just say you decide to make a career move if it's not good for you. The thought process, the network didn't care. The network's like, it doesn't matter, it's just the star, do it. But see, I felt as a storyteller that I always get to end up telling, you know, I, I, wanted, I want to capture the female viewers, I want to capture the story uh, part of it. So I, I was lacking a female. Like, I was like, we have to have a female. And, it, and we're, we're literally like, Mid season, you know, we're in like third episode of our second season, something like that. <clears throat> and I felt we needed to have female presence on the on the set. You know, it's, it's not only something amazing to look at, because Adrian's obviously or AJ is amazing and beautiful. And so my wife at the time, who's Adrian, was a model. Uh, she's a Ford model and was doing print and runway and doing all her stuff. And I came to her and I said, "Hey, I think you can do this." And I think we created kind of a, a, a garage persona around you, not Adrian, the supermodel, but let's do AJ, the garage chick, who doesn't pretend to know everything about cars, but is in there willing to work and learn and ask questions that the viewers want to ask. Because we had a very unique show at the time. We had a time that was like 50-50 male-female because of the way that we told the story. Right? Hmm. So it's not like we're going to take this old Camaro and check out the 350 and check this. It's not all male smooth our show, the way I created it, is all storytelling. Cars are connective, kind of a connective tissue between humans, between people, right? Yeah. And anybody, doesn't matter what way you walk up, they can tell you, that's grandpa's car, and you are doing something sentimental, and you want to bring it back to original glory, and then give that back to grandpa, and that resonates with people, real yeah. people. I mean, people are like, holy shit, what a really cool thing to do for grandpa. I want to watch this. And some people will watch it for 
And the, by the way, this is something they have to learn. It's not something I think I'm a genius that I can create. It's not something you learn. Just, and I'll tell you how I learned it. It's like as, as things start evolving, I started understanding and connecting why this particular mashup of ideas really works. And it really would have to be, I would meet people who would come up and say, oh my God, guys in airports, whatever, would come up to us and say, I love the Corvette episode. That was absolutely amazing. Right? And that would be a guy talking to me. So guys always, for the most part, guys would identify with the type of car. And I'm like that too. I was like, I, I, I wouldn't know necessarily the story. But then a female would come up to us and go, I love the Boy Scout episode. And I would have loved the Boy Scout episode. Okay, which fucking car was that? And they're like, oh, it was a comet. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. That was a great comet. <laughs> what, what was happening is I'm doing this audience testing and figuring out like, that the females are really locking away the memory of the show based off the story, right? If it's, you know, the, the, you know it's, it's the grandpa's truck, it's the Boy Scout episode. So they would talk about the people and the guys would talk about the car. And they need the cars religiously. Every single car, they're like, oh, I love the Navy Seal on the returning soldier work with the female. So we have this beautiful hybrid of storytelling all coming together, right? And and it showed in our ratings. So our ratings were really high in the beginning because we had male female. And the time TLC is now, but the time TLC is a female feeling that was trying to serve male. And we, hit, we struck it because we dragged them in with the pictures of the Corvette. And the females would say, because they were already watching some other random show on TLC uh, before ours. And they would say, and you were able to watch together. That's kind of a, at the time, it was a big trick of television, how to, how to serve both, both audiences. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't, I felt that Adrian was a very, or a female was a very important part of that. So casting wise, I didn't have to ask the, the, uh, the, the network if I could cast a female to do our prank. Like, right, Adrian needs to do pranks. Like five or six pranks right in a row. Like this is our girl. We're gonna dress her up like this. She's gonna handle all of our pranks because at least we have some kind of female presence in our thing. So we started turning in Rockcast with the network, and the network's like, "Who is that girl?" I'm like, "Wow, that's her name is AJ." Um, and I said, "You know, I really want to try her out on pranks." And then the network says, "Well, can you ask her if she would like to be the co-host?" And I did. I said, "That's hey, the network really like what you do. You know, the work that you did and the presence of who you are." And did a co-host. So she came in in second season and she ended up being the co-host for the next 120 episodes. So that's the end, end, end of the story, but that's where the real story of Adrian being on overhaul. But we were already married. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. I'd kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, in my notes, I have that you worked with the military a little bit doing documentaries. You mentioned the Navy SEAL one. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? That must have been a pretty interesting experience. You did some training and things like that with those, those guys. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of the military. Um, I just got back from uh, Alaska last week, and we went into Alaska. It's about 10, um, it's probably 15, or 15, but we got about 15 military veterans up to Alaska for uh, kind of a fishing, hunting, shooting, uh, relaxing thing. Uh, you know, our veterans right now are all going through a very tough time, and yeah. isolation, and, you know, the bars not open, the restaurants not open, there's no social ovation, there's isolation, and if you're dealing with a health disorder, if you're dealing with PTSD, yeah. or any kind of thing, that really kind of exacerbates uh, that that problem. So I decided to take a group of veterans up to, uh, uh, and I partnered with an organization called The Last Healing Arts, and we brought them up there for an exacerbation. Um, wasn't your question, but, but how I got involved with the military is, you know, I started doing, uh, uh, this is in the early, mid-90s, I started doing training videos, low-light training videos, CQB, 
uh, long rifle sniper, knife fighting, uh, ground fighting videos with, with the Navy SEALs out of San Diego. We became very good friends with a lot of the upper guys, you know, some of the, some of the top guys in, in, on SEAL team at the time down at WarCom in San Diego, Coronado Island. And I was able to get friendly with uh, the, the top admiral at the time in WarCom, and then I went to the History Channel. It was very cocky, young producer, and I said, hey, I want to do the history of the Navy SEALs, and I have access to the Pentagon and to WarCom to access training and interviews and, and tell stories about the time. Stories that were untold, um, you know, so stories of Grenada, stories of you know, uh, you know blowing up a, an airplane in Panama, mm-hmm. going after Noriega. Uh, we had these amazing stories. At the time, they weren't really ever told. And you know, 35, 40 years from the, from the inception of the you know, team back in 1962, so I wanted to do this history of the The History Channel was at the, was at the time. Uh, Going to be my new client. They, I, they, they made me prove through a bunch of letters and interviews and stuff like that that I had access to, to Warcom and to the Pentagon. I got a letter from the Pentagon because of this general, because of the, um, this admiral. And History Channel said yes. They gave me piles of money and said, go, like this is really bad for my liver. Um, <laughs> the piles of money and they said, go hang out with a Navy SEAL for about a year and a half and go, <laughs> go pull off an awesome documentary. So I did. And I, oh my God, we just, we, we drank a lot. Drank a lot, <laughs> hung out. Because you really, those guys are just hard charges. You just, yeah. they just live hard. There's, and you guys have been around the Sun I know a lot of them race down at, at King of the Hammers, but they're just amazing the athletes and, and, and philosophers. And just, they're just amazing people to be around. So I was lucky enough to have a group um, with a bunch of SEAL team guys early in my career and I got Tom Selleck to narrate it and then I then since then I've done what, about six or seven or about eight, eight or nine more documentaries <clears throat> on, on the military you know Green Berets and the Reconquer School and stuff to um, for, for History Channel so that was great that's cool wow. and then uh, the, the, my my books kind of spurred off because uh, field teams are um, they're kind of like your very aggressive super macho high, uh, college friend who just constantly gives you shit and threatens your life. So after I put the two hour special out um, on the history of the Navy SEALs, it was actually called the complete history of the Navy SEALs. I would go down there like I'm some kind of, like I think I'm some kind of hero and my friends down at field people were mad at me and wanted to kill me. Have you had any, have you done any work with or had any involvement with Jocko Willink or Leif Babin at all? Are you familiar with them? No, I know Jocko. I don't know him personally. He, he, he does a, he does my friend's podcast all the time, but I don't know Jocko. I mean, at the times that I was down in the early, or in the late nineties, early two thousand, Jocko, I think was, was already operating. You know, the um, it's a really bad thing, but uh, good for the growth of the community. So, I was fortunate to be involved with working with Walmart producing and all that stuff. It's kind of a Cold War era, um, right in two thousand one, when the Desert War and the Gulf War hit. Uh, field team had a, a big explosion with people, but they were also really operating at Warcom and those guys kind of closed everything off. We were doing a lot of stuff in the 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000. We were doing some stuff in that era, but the war started ramping up majorly in the Middle East. A lot of yeah. those guys, uh, I say went away, but a lot of those guys went to go play in the sandbox. Some of them, a big portion of them, couldn't come back because we lost a lot of special operators in, the, in, in that conflict, in, in those conflicts, not just the one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole group. Of, I mean, I connected with a lot of them, like Parker Woodfell and some other guys afterwards. But a lot of the guys who I, I were involved in, um, 
or they're really, really high up in senior, like uh, Admiral McGuire. Um, I think it was the fifth one, the world chief of staff. But, you know, they, uh, some of the young seals were just going through buds, class 234, 240, 245, 250. Those guys were all, it's, it's a different mentality. I can tell you that I've been back down to seal teams during the sense that when I was down there, they were all prepping. But then there's a different sense of urgency when guys are going through blood and there's a conflict going on. Like, yeah. Out of Iraq and Afghanistan, these guys are just wired differently. There's no playing around, there's no cameras, get that shit away from me. I'm training for real. I'm like, leave me alone. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, Jocko. We also saw you created a, like a military sponsor program for a Marine platoon in Iraq. Can you, can you tell us more about that? Oh my God! You guys have like the longest. You guys want the longest story. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're good, good ones, stories. They're, they're good topics. Yeah. yeah, you've done a lot of cool things. Yeah. How did you know about that? So, I, and it is a wacky tie-in. I promise you, there's a wacky, wacky tie-in. Um, it is really, really creepy. Uh, it's, it's creepy. I remember I told you that uh, I, I told you the Baja was magical, right? Um, and, and then sometimes life becomes magical, and this is one of those stories. So there was a, a well, I, I was in the middle of doing the, let me get my thoughts together, I was in the middle of doing the Green Beret documentary for Fifty Channel, and Don Mills, who's a friend of mine, uh, I got connected to one of my employees, Dennis Harrell, who's another special forces guy, <clears throat> connected me, uh, we went out to 29 Palms and met with a bulldog. That there was, there was a group, a, a drone flying bulldog group out there. Um, and we just met with them when we did, and what we, what started out was, hey, let's go do something nice for kids, and we got, you know, ice cream and clowns, and like, all their, all their parents deployed, and no one really, their kids needed, need some attention to the town yeah. houses and stuff like that. That was just a, a little thing we decided to do with my company. And then I connected with this guy, and I'll never forget him, his name's Sergeant Major Pro. So I, I connected with Sergeant Major Pro, and he was getting deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. And I just felt compelled after hearing their stories, and you hear a lot of stories, and there's a supply chain issue, and there's some missing home issues. So what I did is I gave Sergeant Major Pros my my email address, and I said, how many people are in your squadron? And he said, 168. That's okay. Here's what you need to do. Here's my email address. If you guys need anything, I don't care what it is. You guys need chapstick, you need eye protection, um, if you guys need beef jerky, you name it, you email it to me and I will ship it to you. Wow. Hell yeah, man. Um, That's nice. Right? So I just give him the kind of, and I, and I, you know, they're called the Watchdogs. VMU1 is the name. I'm looking at their coin. Uh, the Marine Aerial Reconnaissance Group, basically reconnaissance group, and they're out of 21 pounds. So I gave my card to him and said, if you guys need anything, I will send you 168. Because at the time, there was a lot of you know, press around, um, around about some supply chain. Right? And when they get over, they miss it. And say, I don't care if it's a bar or soap, right? You want to, I said, if you're at a poker game and you want to bet someone you can get the cars here in a week, or you just call me and I'll send it to you. You guys can know to give the direct connection. So he, he did that. So he started he started asking, and, and nothing disrespectful. He's jerky and eye protection, and the only wacky thing was tough was like he sent me some photos of uh, some models equipment that was all torn apart uh, in in the gym in Iraq, and he wondered if I could find replacement pads. Like their preacher curl machine or one of their benches. So I, I hmm. got the model numbers of their model equipment and I got new pads and stuff like that. that so it was nothing, you know, I never, it was, you know, simply in my office and other people in my office, we all partake. It's a chapstick, it's been 168 of them. So 
send them over there. Eye protection, 158. We send them over there. We send them DVDs, magazines. They 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 reciprocated amazing. They would like send us photos. It's really really cool stuff. Yeah, that's really, awesome, really cool man. Stuff. That's really. And uh, I have a flag, and I have a flag that that uh, flew over Baghdad. Uh, uh, flew over Baghdad once. They took over Baghdad. I have it in my office. They they brought back and they handed it to me. They said, "Here, just just flew over by Baghdad. We raised the flag and brought it back." That's that was pretty amazing. That's awesome. So the interesting thing in life, so, you know, I'm back here doing my thing and. Obviously, my support in military is, 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 is amazing. And in overhauling, um, we, we've done a lot of military people in overhauling. So there was this really, really cool sergeant. Um, and his wife was, uh, and I forgot his name, but he, he's awesome. And we did something, you know, kind of sexy, uh, which I, you know, probably, and I do this all the time, you kind of do some sketchy stuff all the time. Um, <laughs> so this guy, this guy, I read this application about a guy who's currently coming back from Afghanistan. And he's got his dad's old truck. He's one of those stories. He's got his dad's old truck. And they want us to overhaul his dad's truck because his dad passed away. And his dad passed away, and that's all he's left with his truck. And he's literally coming back, like, the next week from Iraq and Afghanistan. And he's going to come back to us, right? Us all crankers. And so I love the story. I thought it was great. The stupid part, which I'll tell you about in a second. So... We actually embedded a camera down in San Pendleton, watching you guys literally get off the bus from Afghanistan, right? And we got the first hug between him and his wife, and it was all nice and beautiful. And the next morning, we go to the house and we record this conversation between the two of them, which is like, and by the way, madly insane to do this to a guy who just got back from battle. Basically, the wife told the husband, and he is a massive dude, 240, 250 pounds, just jacked guy just came out of battle and we, we think it's a, this is a we think it's a good idea to have his wife explain to him the day after he gets back that she sold his dad's truck oh my god <laughs> and now in hindsight <laughs> thank god she's alive he didn't kill her or anything exactly like that in hindsight probably not a good idea to poke the bear one day after he gets back from, from Afghanistan but to his credit like you know he's very confused it's not going to hit his life, obviously, and it's odd to think about that. But we also, you know, it's not pretty stupid by putting this So we basically said that his wife told it. And, he, and he's like, you what? He's like, oh, yeah, I just said this for a while. I didn't really want it. So I told him, he's like, you what? I sold your truck. This is the wife talking to him. He's like, why did you do that? Well, I just, and she was just being, you know, blase about it. I'm surprised you didn't it. So, but luckily, she gave him the lead to the people who actually bought the truck, which is us. We didn't really buy the truck, we just sold it. Anyhow, long story short, we ended up, you know, pranking him, doing some good stuff for him, and giving his truck back to him. And he was amazing and wild, right? Here's where the story ties in. So we give his truck back to him. I'm talking to him that night uh, after we gave the truck back to him and told him to run over home. He's got this amazing truck, and tears are flowing, and he's, you know, he's going through this mind fucking emotions. And he says to me, he goes, he goes, I can't believe a week ago I was sitting in Iraq on watch with my Sergeant Major, Major smoking and shooting cigars, and now I'm here with you guys on TV. Aww. So I said to him, because I'm kind of creepy this way, I'm like, there's no way. And to me, there's no way it could be not. I said, will you smoke cigars with uh, Sergeant Major Crows? And he goes, yeah, that's my Sergeant Major. 
So with the mere smoke of my cigar, I said, "Listen to you guys. Uh, he goes, what are you talking about?" I said, "Sergeant Major had my email, and I'm Santa Claus, and anytime that he wanted something, I'd send it to you." So that guy was a part of the 158 people that we were supplying stuff to, uh, and he said, "I was smoking Cuban cigars with my Sergeant Major," and I'm like, "There's, there's, there's no way there's that many Cuban cigars floating around Afghanistan." So I just made a guess. It was the Sergeant Major, Sergeant Major Pro. That's like. Life is magical. That's why you have to treat people the right way and do the right yeah. things. And some things come back to you, and some things don't, and you just don't fucking know. Yeah. And I just thought that was a really cool connection. That That's amazing, cool. man. I love yeah. that story. It's not creepy at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's heartwarming. No, it's only creepy. It's only creepy if you put this poor girl for <laughs> what? Like, listen, it's a different. I think we'd have different issues. If I go away to fight a war for six months back. And my amazing, beautiful, perfect wife come back. Oh, by the way, I sold your car. We have an issue. I think there's an issue. <laughs> I get that. One of the last things I was curious about too were, was it looks like you've done some uh, production for Ink Creator, I guess, for uh, some mixed martial arts um, series. Do you have like a background in, in fighting or any martial arts? Uh, yeah. Um, like I said, if you, if you, if you listen to anything I just said the past hour, I have to get involved and do stuff. So, um, I, I could, I could not be, uh, I, I could not be the creator and, and, and person, you know, they went back and behind a couple of big martial arts without training. I have not been working. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a cage fighter by any means, but at the, at the time what was happening, um, is I was training a lot with Machado, which are the cousins of the Gracie's. Uh, John Josh Machado, Higa Machado, gets down in the South Bay, Redondo Beach, and then I moved up to the Valley and trained a lot with John Josh. Uh, and I was training a lot. I was training with you know, high, high profile black belt. Um, and my attorney at the time said he, and I won't tell you too much story, but then, then I got involved with, um, with the creation starting King of the Cage, which at the time was probably the number two mixed martial arts group in the world we were really building it i had uh, i got dvd deals and television deals we were doing pay-per-views we had some big big name fighters and it started here in southern california really out in hemet is where we we got a deal and the reason why we had to do it hemet because it was illegal but we found obviously a loophole to do it on indian land uh, and hmm. the indians were amazing the suburban casino where we did our, our all of our stuff we're like we're federal land we don't call that shit we're legal art we you want to talk to the uh, athletic commission? You're talking to them. <laughs> what do you guys want to do? So we set our own rules. We got, they built us a stadium. They did everything for us because we were bringing tens and at that time, we were bringing tens of thousands of people out to, uh, to build the wow. casino out in London. And they were, they were loving it. So yeah, I was, uh, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to be, uh, in the television game and in the DVD game and, and live television game. So, uh, with the mixed martial arts that just started. Not in 93 when UFC started, um, but we started ours in 98. But the UFC was dying in 97 and 98, and we wouldn't, obviously wouldn't really take off, but the Petitas bought it in 2001, 2002, mm. uh, when they bought it. But we were grooming talent. We had, uh, like, every month had a huge event with 10,000 people in it. We put some big pages on in New Orleans. But yeah, I've been, I've been involved with that for quite some time, and I've, I've trained with some of the best people in, in the planet. In the planet. I love mixed martial arts. Is a very big passion of mine. Are you are you still training jujitsu or? I have not trained jujitsu for maybe two or three years. I mean, you get old, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, get, you get old. The the problem I had, and I've been thinking about it a lot. You know, I'm a little bit older now, but 
The problem I had with Jiu-Jitsu's time, and it is actually what makes Jiu-Jitsu so amazing, is you know you you, you train at ninety percent, um, and you constantly hurt, constantly. Yeah. Um, you know, I had my my still my refrigerator at home was filled with ice bags and swings and pressure stuff. We would sometimes train two a day. We would train do and then no do and then go work out and then. I trust me, in my twenties and thirties, I didn't know even how I sustained that. Um, and then as I as I got progressed into racing, I was probably in my mid thirties and I was in the racing. I just couldn't like having having Joe Rogan or someone like that hang up my neck trying to choke me to death didn't seem like a good idea right before a race. So I would I would I would still train hard, but I didn't want to train at that level anymore because it's hard to continue that level. And you know, it's pretty brutal on your body and your joints. A lot of my friends that are that are black belts have a lot, you know, medical issues and stuff like that. Yeah, I was gonna, maybe I, just a long way to go. Yeah, maybe a long way to go that I'm approaching, and I didn't want to frame that. But I know a lot of older black belt guys. But yeah, it's it's, it's hard to sustain it at the first level. I was gonna ask you if that's how you knew Joe, because I think he 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 trained with uh, Jean Jacques Machado, right? Yeah, yeah. Joe and I uh, became friendly because we all, with me, Eddie Bravo, Todd, uh, you know, we were all trained at the same time. Same, same time with, with Jean Jacques. That's cool. Uh, and then obviously I started training at Joe at his house with Eddie and Joe and Joe and all those guys would come to see the cage and I would VIP those guys into my uh you know into our, our cage fights and stuff like that. So Joe and I had a, a big passion for mixed martial arts. So but yeah, that's how we know. That's cool. That's really cool, man. Um, so Bud, what projects are you working on right now? Oh boy. Um well we are trying, with, with the way that COVID is going on, FEMA just got, got canceled, so we are doing a very big battle to build it for this, for this coming FEMA. So we are working, trying to figure out how to salvage that show. Yeah. I have some conference calls today with Disney Channel and try to figure out, can we salvage that show? Can we do that independently? If it's actually convention slowing down, so we're working on that. Uh, quietly, I can probably tell you, I am currently working on a... a I shouldn't say that. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm currently <laughs> working on, uh, I don't know, I'll just tell you, it doesn't matter. I'm currently working on a DeLorean special with Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox, wow. and, and Doc Brown. Oh, uh, that's we cool. We love Back to the Future. Yeah. We're huge fans. <laughs> Doc Brown. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's awesome. cool, man. That's yeah, super it's, cool. It's, super, it's a super cool kind of big confidential thing that we're doing with Discovery Channel. Decided to, you know, put it together and create We're working on that. I have a big, big show with BYU TV called Pictures. Um, and it's just a, a, a television show where we kind of go around the world and we create, um, we, we create infrastructure and, and do projects for people that are underprivileged. Uh, we did a 275 foot water well in Nicaragua. We built a chicken farm and fish farm in Thailand. Uh, we're going to build an elephant hospital. Uh, we built an after school program for the kids of Arkansas. I'm leaving tomorrow, uh, oddly, leaving tomorrow to go to Michigan. Um, to meet with a guy named Dino who has a boxing gym that he trains underprivileged kids and troubled teens, right? Because I was a troubled teen. I was a jackass. I hadn't really changed at all. Um, but if he, if this, this, this guy, and I understand all too well, this guy has this awesome gym and wants to expand, wants to help more kids that are troubled. And you can learn some of that. So I'm going to make martial arts and boxing, which is boxing, which really arts in general. You know, it really it ends up humbling you and focusing you. Um, you know, I've watched I've watched some of my some of my closest friends that are completely badasses and people get in their face and they're just so calm. Like, you know, I can't do anything. Like, shut up. 
when you understand and understand the body and understand that this is really, really, and this sounds like a farce, and it's not, you really don't want to get this fight in the middle of, you know, singing a hammer with some drunk douchebag. No, you're like, yeah. dude, you need to walk away. You know, and for me, he's like, no, you're not really, you know, you're not well enough in trying to start fighting people when you understand yeah your ego gets checked pretty quick in a in jujitsu or even just any martial art really i feel like oh yeah no, you have you know you, you have you know 140 because i used to get choked out all the time by eddie bravo like 135 pound eddie bravo choking <laughs> yeah. your leg off and your twister and it's like it, it, it's, it's humbling that another human being can do that to you. It's so, it, once you understand that art, it is ridiculously humbling. Yeah. Yeah. And Overhaul is um, on now, right? Yeah, Overhaul, uh, Overhaul is always on uh, and has not, not been on for almost 16 years. And we just finished on the linear channel, Motor Trend TV, with, uh, on cable. Um, we just finished like two weeks ago our final episode with Shaquille and Leo. Cool. Oh, cool. There's a there's a train app that's kind of moving into the digital world because so many so many uh, episodes. But the digital app, the Motortrain app, I'm not telling you you can watch every single one of them on the Motortrain app. It's on your phone if you download them all. Hmm. Gotcha. Well, it was great to meet you, and it was great to get to know you. And thank you for being on with us. And yeah. we um, we just really appreciate you telling us not just about your experience in off road, but all these other interesting avenues that you've been down and sharing all of this information and your secret project we won't tell anyone yeah <laughs> yeah you've really lived a hell of a life but it's pretty pretty amazing man pretty cool pretty special opportunity to hear it all i appreciate it well i didn't let you guys get to talk enough i apologize you asked me <laughs> one story and i just continue to, to blab it on so but there's there's much more so call anytime i appreciate you guys i appreciate um, what you guys have to do thank you oh, we'd yeah. love to have you back appreciate on it, and we you're an amazing storyteller for yeah, real definitely. like i we could listen to you all day so we will definitely have to connect up again and follow up on some of the projects you're working on too yeah or see you at king of the hammers one day yeah get, get in the driver's seat yes again here's the thing the word is out there if, if i'm gonna go i have to go for a purpose right and my friends all know me Dave Paul knows me and casey knows me and jason Shear knows me all those guys know me. they gotta go there for a purpose I will find you a purpose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sure, tempt uh, me. I'm sure, I'm sure they have multiple cars, right? Yeah. Each team has a few cars. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, we'll let you get back to it. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. Yeah. Bye. Thank you, bud. Bye. Bye.